Today's sermon marks another pivotal point in the Christian year. About three months ago, if, you're, if you've been watching our messages regularly, you've noted that we had Christ the King Sunday, which marked the end of the Christ, Christian year and moved us into Advent. Well, now we're at another, another point where we have a Sunday that just kind of sits here, that kind of pivots us between uh, Epiphany, which is kind of the celebration post Christmas and Lent. And this Sunday is called Transfiguration Sunday. It's where the disciples kind of realize that, whoa, there's something more going on with this Jesus guy. He's not just a regular rabbi and teacher who can do miracles and heal people and teach Torah really well. Like, he might actually be the Son of God. And so they have this revelation on top of a mountain. And so in this sermon today, our pastor, Sally Campbell Evans, is going to unpack how really amazing things happen on top of mountains. So check it out, and I'll be back at the end to tell you some next steps you can take. There are some experiences in this life that require no commentary at all. For some experiences, the only appropriate response is silence. I have a friend who became a grandmother this week, and as she held her grandchild for the very first time, well, there were no words, just tears. Tears of absolute joy and wonder, delight and awe. No words. I have another friend who is a PSAR. She's part of a preventative search and rescue team for hikers in the Grand Canyon. She didn't always do this. She is actually a recently retired Protestant pastor. But when she was a teenager, she went hiking in the Grand Canyon with her family and enjoyed it. And in her 20s, she hiked the canyon with a college chum and she loved that adventure. And in her mid-30s, she hiked it by herself for the first time. And on that trip, when she was all alone by herself amidst the elements, she felt incredibly close to the creator of the universe. Yes, she experienced something of God's majesty that has stayed with her ever since. She was absolutely overcome by the mind-blowing beauty and splendor of God's creation, beholding the myriad of colors, breathing in the sheer enormity of the place, and sensing the mystical presence of God. There were no words. Yes, for my friend, the Grand Canyon is the place where she senses the presence of the holy like nowhere else. The Hindus call this, these experiences darshan. That's a Sanskrit word meaning an auspicious sight, leading to a connection with the divine. The Sufis emphasize visal and the sense of divine union that comes from practices like meditation and chanting. But my favorite of all such terms comes from the Celts who speak of thin places the moments and locations where the boundary between us and the sacred simply dissolves. Heaven and earth are only three feet apart, say the Celts, and in thin places, the distance is even closer. Thin places abound. They are doors ready for opening, invitations to grace. Today, we are talking about one of the more unusual passages of Scripture, but I dare say it is a thin place of grace. It's called the Transfiguration. Now, in Mark's Gospel, the Transfiguration serves as the halfway point in the story of Jesus. It's really the turning point, a shifting away from the miracles and teachings of Jesus 
to the journey of Jesus on his way to the cross. So let's dig in. Up to this point, Jesus has been going about his ministry, proclaiming the kingdom of God, healing the sick, feeding the hungry, teaching about the nature of God, and arguing with religious authorities about matters of faith and religious practice. And then all of a sudden, the text says, six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain. Now, here's the thing about mountains. Throughout the Bible, mountains are often the setting for a thin place to be revealed. Yes, they are often the place where you go to meet God. I mean, let's think about it. Abraham, he was tested on a mountain. And Moses saw a burning bush on a mountain. In fact, Moses received the Ten Commandments on a mountain. And Elijah, he heard a still, small voice of God on a mountain. All of these are what I would call thin places where the boundary between us and the sacred simply dissolves, where heaven and earth are, in the words of the Celts, only three feet apart. So Jesus is taking his three best friends up a mountain, and that tells us that something special is about to happen. And then there on the mountain, he was transfigured before them. He was changed. He was transformed. Our text says three, and our text says in verse three, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. <laughs> dazzling white clothes. What does that mean? Well, the next time we see anything resembling dazzling white will be when we encounter the angel in the empty tomb of the resurrection, saying, He is not here. He has been raised. The past, present, and future are being connected in this thin place. So let's continue. Verse 4, And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Now wait just a minute. What are these guys doing here? I mean, Moses, Moses has been dead a long time, but he was the great lawgiver. Remember the first five books of the Bible are referred to as the books of Moses, and they're called the Torah, which means the law. So Moses was the great lawgiver and Elijah, God's greatest prophet. Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets. And for the Jewish people, that's the whole Bible, the law and the prophets. So this is God's way of saying that the entire Bible is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And all of God's dealings with humankind are brought together in this one man. Now, let's be honest. That's a lot to take in. I mean, it's a lot to take in for any of us, but can you imagine what it was like for those disciples? I mean, Jesus quite shockingly started glowing. The disciples didn't know exactly what to do, so Peter, you know, you can always count on Peter, he starts talking. He says, in essence, wow, wow, God, this is really great. It's so good that we are here to see this. I mean, think about it. Gosh, what if we missed it? Oh, but we didn't, and we're here together, and it's all so good. So let's build. Let's construct, construct three dwellings right here to preserve this moment, to remember the experience, and perhaps, perhaps we could come back every year on the anniversary now, I think in this moment, Peter is acting like a seven on the Enneagram, and Mark, the gospel writer, 
probably not a seven, is a little embarrassed by Peter's chattering, and he shows some mercy when he says, for they did not know what to say. <laughs> That's an understatement. And while Peter's going on and on about this building project, a cloud descends, another biblical signal that God is about to say or do something, another thin place. Now they're terrified, and this voice says, be quiet, stop talking, listen, listen to him. He's my son. I bet, I bet that that is the day they learned, even though they couldn't begin to explain it, they learned to stop talking and listen more carefully to Jesus. Listen to Jesus, believe his words. So what about for you? What spots or moments, what memories does this text bring up for you? Seriously, I'm curious. Can you remember some of your thin places where you have felt the presence of the Holy so closely? Those places where Jesus has been revealed to you? What was it like? What was going on in your life and where were you? All three synoptic versions of this transfigured moment in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke, all three have as their point the simple fact that Jesus is amazing. Jesus is someone to be worshipped, someone to be listened to. And I'd say the biggest and perhaps the only takeaway we should have as would be like that Charles Wesley hymn proclaims, we should be lost in wonder, love, and praise. Truly, instead of trying to build a booth, it would have been far better for Peter to say and, and for us to say in moments like this, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place and it is good that we are here. When our eldest child, Abby, was a sophomore in college and our twin boys, Ben and Zach, had just left for their first semester of college, Clark and I were empty nesting for the first time. And I was having a hard time coming to terms with this new family reality. So that October, I took a two week mini sabbatical and drove over 2000 miles by myself. It was my own personal Thelma and Louise adventure, without Thelma, of course, and no driving over any cliffs. It was an experience filled with thin places it was the best gift I have ever given myself. I drove from Florida through the Carolinas and Virginias, Kentucky, Ohio, Tennessee, and eventually back home to Florida. And that first week was a lot of driving, but I was reconnecting with friends along the way, remembering parts of my journey, revisiting places where I had seen God at work in my life. It was glorious. And that second week, I was spent I spent it at an Episcopal convent, a spiritual retreat center in Tennessee. The whole two-week experience allowed time for me to reflect on my life. It was a time of incredible renewal. Well, before I even got to the retreat center, however, God and I had some amazing adventures, one of which, well, let me just tell you about it. On this journey, I decided to visit one of the churches I served my very first summer in ministry when I was a seminary intern, the summer of 1984. 
I was working with another pastor and I served three teeny tiny country churches right on the border of Virginia and West Virginia. Falling Springs, Sinking Springs, and Tinkling Springs, right close to Hot Springs. I lived upstairs in one parishioner's barn apartment. Literally, cows mooed me to sleep at night. It was awesome. To be fair, I must tell you, though, that I had started this summer job knowing that at the end of the summer, after just one year of seminary, I doubted my call to ministry so much that I was going to leave seminary. I mean, I wanted to be a missionary, not a pastor. So I had already decided that after this internship was over, I would take a leave of absence and go to work with the homeless in Atlanta. I learned a lot that summer, but I didn't realize how much I had learned for years to come. So back to my trip in 2012, my mini sabbatical. I headed north to Covington, Georgia, and my GPS only found one of these three small churches where I had worked, Falling Spring Presbyterian Church. It was a beautiful little white church sitting high on a hill overlooking the beautiful mountains in the distance. Notice there's a mountain in my story. Seeing this church again, well, it was exactly like I remembered it. I got out of my car and I began to walk around. I mean, no one else was there. And there was a small church cemetery connected to the church. And I started walking over toward the tombstones and I felt drawn to one of them like it was glowing. Now I had not been there in 28 years, but I started walking. And before I could help myself, I found myself saying out loud, Gracie Martin, Gracie Martin. As I approached, there was her tombstone, Grace B. Martin, July 5, 1894 to August 21, 1984. <laughs> now, if you know me, you know that I have done a lot of funerals through the years, but Grace Martin's funeral was the very first funeral I ever officiated. In that moment, it was as if the heavens broke open and God said to me, listen to me, Sally. I've been walking with you every step of the way, even when you didn't know it, preparing you for the work I've called you to do, even if you had other adventures and taken different paths along the way. I've been with you through it all, and I will be with you through it all. I was filled with a sense of the holy, in those moments, I glimpsed something of God's mystery. It was a very thin place. I sat down on the ground in front of that tombstone and wept. I don't know how long I stayed there, but I certainly believe that in those moments on that mountaintop, surely the presence of the Lord was in that place. And it was good that I was there truly a thin place. The, the holy presence was with me. And in that moment, nothing changed. And yet, somehow, it changed everything. <laughs> in his fine book on the Nicene Creed, Catholic scholar Luke Timothy Johnson writes this, the believer affirms that there is a mystery at the heart of the world, a mystery that does not yield to direct examination that refuses to be measured or manipulated, yet suggests its presence in every single thing, and we can feel and taste and see. 
The mystery of God's presence is everywhere. Thin places abound. They are doors ready for opening invitations to grace. As much as those disciples might have wanted to, they discovered that they could not stay with Jesus up on that mountain, and neither can we. But what a difference it could make in our everyday lives when we recognize that we are touched by the holy, the presence of God, and we can see ourselves and everyone and everything else illuminated by that same light. What if today's understanding enabled us to get up tomorrow morning and see and hear what may have been hidden from us, that God is present and working and shining in every corner of life? Oh, friends, God is working in the world and God is working in your life. And if we all recognize this, this world would be a very different place. You know, it doesn't happen all the time, but every once in a while, thin places are dramatically revealed to us. And when such a glimpse is given to you, on a mountaintop or in a church pew or right there at home, cherish it. Don't try to capture it, for it is a gift. We begin this week the journey of Lent, the time when we turn our attention to Jesus's journey to Jerusalem and to that final mystery, his death on the cross. For all the mystery of the mountaintop, there's nothing more mysterious than the divine holy love walking into the city, coming fully into our human life, the valley of human need, and there suffering and dying for us. As we begin this journey together, I hope and pray we will listen to Jesus, God's beloved son. And as we listen, even if sometimes we get scared and say the wrong things, we may find that glory creeps up on us unawares, strengthening us as it did the disciples for the road ahead. Let's pray together. Oh, holy God, great God of dazzling beauty and overshadowing majesty, we glimpse the image of your glory in the face of your son, Jesus whose compassion illumines the world. Teach us to truly listen to him so that we may hear your voice and follow your way and be transformed into the likeness and love of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. One thing that stands out to me from Sally's message is this idea of a thin place. I don't know about you, but again, if you're a Christian or not, you've probably experienced that thin place moment where maybe maybe you got goosebumps or maybe something just felt a little bit different. I know for me, I get that feeling whenever I look up at the night sky and you can see the Milky Way galaxy, which never happens where I live in Florida. But one time I was on the beach uh, out in the Caribbean and saw the Milky Way just stretching from the horizon all the way up over my head. And I'll never forget it. It's just a thin moment where you realize that we're part of a bigger story. Again, whether you're a Christian or not, but there's something bigger out there. For me, I thought that bigger thing was God, and I believe that bigger thing is God. Maybe for you, you're just exploring that belief or exploring what a thin place might be in your life. We're a place where you can explore that. Down in the notes below, we've got some next steps you can take. You can find a small group to join. You can find a discussion questions where you can take this content deeper and reflect on it throughout the week. I'm really glad you joined us. We'll see you back here next week.